Virginia Tech has the Commonwealth Cup and its next football coach. What went wrong for UVA and where do the Who's go from here? All that, football championship games, some television contract news, and plenty of ACC basketball. This week on Teal and Barber. Welcome in to the 69th episode of Teal and Barber, the Richmond Times-Dispatch and Richmond.com's Virginia Tech, UVA, and ACC Sports Podcast. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the paper, and joining to chat here with me as always, my co-host, the 13-time Sports Writer of the Year and the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, David Teal. And David, normally we spend a little time (laughs) with small talk, but man, there is a lot going on in the world of sports, in the world of college football, and right here uh, in the ACC and in the Commonwealth. So let's get right to it. And one of the good news items for the morning, the ACC network will finally be available to Comcast subscribers. I can't tell you because I haven't counted how many emails, tweets I've received over the last two years from angry fans, missing UVA games, missing tech games. And it felt like missing all of the ones between each other um, as almost a stick it to you, <laughs> to the fans who had no access. David, this deal is something that's been uh, on Jim Phillips' radar, the new ACC commissioner. Uh, how did it finally get done and, and what does it mean going forward? Well, it, it it's it's certainly a, a win for the 20 million Comcast subscribers. It's the nation's lo- largest television provider. Now, obviously, all 20 million homes are not ACC uh, homes, but the, the network will now be available nationwide in nearly 90 million homes. That full distribution will be a financial windfall for the conference, perhaps as upward of a 30% increase in television revenue because of subscription fees uh, that cable providers pay. And it's been a, a long time coming, but not that big of a surprise in, in the delay. The launch of the network was in August of 2019 with the full knowledge that Disney's agreement with Comcast to carry Disney's portfolio did not expire until this fall. Now, the, the one problem was I think most of us expected that the network would be available this football season. But alas, no, the deal doesn't get done until after the football season, the third uh, that the network has been unavailable to Comcast subscribers. And we still don't know exactly when it will be available. Today's release was very vague, saying details will be in the coming weeks. Yeah, so so maybe a little more waiting. <laughs> but if you've waited three years, what's a couple more weeks, right, of, of waiting? Um, I think historically it will be a minor footnote, um, but I know that for the, the two and a half, three years of waiting, it's been um, just agony for a lot of fans. I mean, I've, I've got one reader who emails me weekly, um, and he always says, I, I know you'll report it when there's something, but can you tell me, are, are you still looking? Is there anything happening with the ACC network deal? And um, I got to the point where I finally dropped Comcast and went with Hulu. I, I stream my cable now because I, I couldn't wait any longer. So, uh, but happy for everybody that that finally got done. And when you tune into ACC network to watch Virginia Tech football next year, you're going to see a new face on the s- sideline. David uh, Brent Pry, the defensive coordinator at Penn State, uh, is becoming the Hokies' next football coach. He has some Virginia Tech ties. He was a GA 
under Frank Beamer and Blacksburg in, in the mid to late 90s. He does not have any prior head coaching experience. Uh, overall, what do we make of this hire? Well, like all new coaches, it's a very intriguing one, Mike, because you never know where these things are, are going to lead and end. And there's no telling what with Babcock, the Hokies AD, had to navigate through <laughs> given the seismic coaching changes elsewhere in the country with, you know, Brian Kelly going to LSU and Lincoln Riley to Southern California and Billy Napier, perhaps a Virginia Tech target going to Florida. But Pry, he doesn't have head coaching experience. And Babcock's history said that he would hire someone with that experience. But Mike, this is becoming more and more common that power five athletic directors are willing to hire football coaches who have never been the boss before. There are at least four coaches in each of the power five conferences whose first job as a head coach was at the power five level. And here's just a few of them. Dabo Sweeney, Jimbo Fisher, Pat Narduzzi, Dave Aranda, Lincoln Riley, Mike Gundy, our mutual friend Shane Beamer, Ryan Day, James Franklin at Penn State, for whom Brent Pry worked. David Shaw at Stanford. Oh, Kirby Smart at Georgia, the number one team in the country. Bob Stoops at Oklahoma before Lincoln Riley. Bob's brother Mark at Kentucky. You know, they're, they're, I mean, there are seven alone in the SEC where it ma- you know it matters more, right, to, to the SEC. That's what they tell us. Yes. So, <laughs> as much as people might harp on this and say, hey, he's, he's unproven. Granted, he is. But this is more and more the way administrators are going. It's interesting to me that they went the coordinator route. Uh, they went the coordinator route with a guy, you know, without the head coaching experience, but that Pry is a guy who does have that connection to Blacksburg. And in the release, oh, yeah. they announced that J.C. Price will be staying on. Um, his exact role is kind of to be determined. It, it said, uh, I believe associate head coach and defensive coach. Um, obviously, JC's background is with the defensive line. Yeah. Um, he's had some run game coordinator, some co-coordinator type responsibilities. Um, I think the point was to keep JC Price and then figure out exactly what his role will be. Um, how important do you think? And, and we'll learn more Thursday. I think uh, obviously at the introductory press conference when we go down to Blacksburg. But um, how important do you think that Blacksburg connection uh, was? I think it might have been the difference in Brent Pry getting the job, Mike. As you said, we'll we'll learn more Thursday. But my understanding from sources is that two coordinators became front and center in this search. I don't know who the other one was. It, we could speculate and say might it have been Marcus Freeman. The Notre Dame defensive coordinator, don't know. Might it have been Josh Gaddis, the offensive coordinator at Michigan. Might it have been Bill O'Brien, the offensive coordinator at Alabama, who has been, obviously, a head coach at Penn State. Well, and, the, and the one I had heard at the same time as Pry was Joe Moorhead at Oregon, yes. who has head coaching experience. And uh, my source told me it had come down to, to Pry and Moorhead. I, I don't know. Uh, we, I don't know if that will ever be confirmed. What's not big on going back oh, and, yeah, and walking no. us through the process, but um, but yeah, I think with where you're going is you know what what makes it pry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think you know not only that 
the, the Hokies connection, but you know, his, his daddy is a coach or was a coach, including as an assistant at VMI mm-hmm. where Brent Pry went to Lexington high school and played some football. So I mean, he knows the I 81 corridor. He has recruited the DMV quite well. And I was talking to Ricky Ronnie today, the old Dominion coach. And Ronnie and Pry worked together for nine years under James Franklin at Vanderbilt and at Penn State. And Ronnie told me that Pry used to talk about Bud Foster and Frank Beamer in Virginia Tech all the time. (laughs) And how many times have we heard from fans over the last few weeks Virginia Tech needs to find the football version of Mike Young. You know, they just might have. Now, Mike Young came with a ton of head coaching experience, but he has those Southwestern Virginia roots. He He had that affection. Even though he didn't go to school there, he had that affection for Virginia Tech, having grown up going to Hokies games at Castle. Well, here's a guy who coached at Virginia Tech. Here's a guy who didn't land or isn't landing his first head coaching gig until his 50s. I think this could be, if it works, this could be his destination job. Ronnie was telling me today that that Brent Pry is not a job chaser. That's why he's been with James Franklin for so long. He's had other opportunities, but decided they weren't right. So maybe they found the Mike Young of football. And if so, good on him. Yeah, and if you remember, the the Mike Young of of basketball was named after the Frank Beamer of football, right? <laughs> we said Frank Beamer. Here, here he is, Frank Beamer in uh, basketball shoes. Uh, so, yeah, a, a great opportunity there. And it's interesting that you bring up Brent's age uh, at 52 because one of the things that came to me in, in talking about this is, yes, there is head coaching experience. That's an important thing to, to have the big whistle, to make all those calls. Um, as we saw with Justin Fuente, the adjustment of dealing with all the things that come with being a, a power five head coach and all the other ways you're pulled away from the practice field, if you will. Um, but Brent Pry is not a young guy who's inexperienced to big time college football. Mm-hmm. He's got a ton of experience. He's got years. He's got wisdom. He just didn't have that job title yet. I think that makes a big difference. And, and, and that's not to disparage some of the young and upcoming coaches, um, you know, and, and we've seen coordinators get jobs in their you know early 40s, some in their late 30s, getting the opportunity, depending on the time of the school. And um, and I think that can work. But I think we mitigate some of the concern about well, this guy's never been a head coach with this guy's been in some pretty big places for a good number of years, and, and he's been in this business for a long time. Uh, so I'm not as worried about that. And I am very turned on, for lack of a better term, for what you hit on there, the recruiting fit. Yeah. Uh, you know, For whatever the reason, the perception around uh, Virginia Tech in the Justin Fuente era was that they didn't emphasize Virginia recruiting. Now, we talked in previous episodes. I think that might have been more perception than reality. Agreed. Um, but it was certainly the way it was received, um, the way they marketed, you know, Texas to VT and dominating Carolina. I think the pry hire signals, again, for perception's sake, the idea of we start in Virginia and move out from there. And I think that's an important turn and element to this hire. I, I agree. And I, I, I saw some folks, you know, our, our mutual friends 
at, at Tech Sideline and Andy Bitter at the Athletic screenshotting some of Brent Pry's best recruiting gets over the years at Penn State. And many of them were Hokies targets here in the Commonwealth. Right. I mean, and Penn State is one of those schools that has come down here and landed a good amount of talent. And it'll be his job to, to stop that pipeline. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to watch that because emphasizing something and doing it are two different things, right? So Brent Pry can come in with a great track record recruiting Virginia, recruiting the 757 in particular. We've seen um, some of those prospects. But was it Brent Pry or was it Penn State? You know, was it the recruiter? Was it Ohio State? Was it the recruiter? Was it Notre Dame? What was it that is pulling kids out of Virginia? But at least it does feel like there's an emphasis on this going forward. I think that's going to be important. We talked about the defense retaining Coach Price and Price's time with Bud, uh, some of the things he did at Penn State. I think we have a fairly good vision of, of what defense may look like. Offensively, David, is the big question. Fans, and the longer I do this job, the more I realize that there isn't a fan base in America that doesn't hate its offensive coordinator and think his play calls are ridiculous. I mean, Robert and I at UVA put together one of the most explosive offenses uh, in the nation, and, and people want him uh, hung in FFG, if not in reality. Uh, what do you think Tech is going to do offensive coordinator-wise, and how much is Whit Babcock prepared to spend to, to bring in somebody who's really at the top of that uh, part of the profession? Excellent questions, Mike. I wish I could give you precise answers. I, I asked Ricky Ronnie that question today about Pry. Do you have any idea whom he might look at in terms of a staff? And he, Ricky didn't give me any names, but he just assured me that Brent Pry is very well connected across the country, and he believes he he will you know, assemble a, a top shelf staff. I think what's going to help him, and I have talked to some people today at Virginia Tech, is that the Hokies are prepared to significantly increase pay for assistant coaches and significantly increase the recruiting staff. And that will be a serious asset for a new head coach, especially one who is a rookie. Yeah, you know, that, and that's an interesting, we don't want to go back and, and relitigate the Justin Fuente era, but yeah, I know Virginia Tech was moving in that direction. It just seems like some of these promises we always get for the new coaches, where were they with two years left in the Fuente era, right? Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it just, and I get it, you know, you're now you're competing and you're trying to attract a coach and uh, maybe other people are, are trying to get that same guy and um, you want to energize your fan base by showing a commitment, but um I just imagine there's a lot of coaches across the country who look at the details around their replacements and think, where was this? Where was this pledge? Where was this commitment uh, in my later years? Might that have turned things around? But it's good information and good insight, David, because I think when fans heard he's a defensive coordinator, the first thought was, okay, who's going to run? Who's going to run the offense? And that's yeah. such a, uh, and, 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 and how, you know, how's this for small world stuff? Brent prize, Head coaching debut will be. <laughs> Isn't that fantastic? Against Old Dominion and Ricky Ronnie. I, I just think that uh, we saw it in Major League Baseball, right? With Max Scherzer going to the Mets. And who do they play on opening day? 
they play the Nats. I, I yeah. it's an aside, but I love when sports gives us those those wrinkles. Yeah, and 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 the game is in Norfolk. And I was joking with Ronnie today, and he said, I've got to make sure there's more Old Dominion fans in the stadium than Virginia Tech fans. It is going to be quite the quite the scene, and we all remember what happened the last time Tech went to Old Dominion. And, uh, you know, you can survive it, certainly, but I, I think Brent Pry would <laughs> really like to get off to a little bit of a, a better start there. And, um, it yeah, and, be and here's, a, here's a little, little tip that just – hit my phone that that game, you know, it's, it's opening weekend and right now is, is scheduled for, for Saturday. Don't be surprised if that game gets moved to a Friday night for television purposes. Yeah. I'm certainly looking forward to it a, a lot more now. And uh, it'll be interesting to hear more. And, and I know you talked to, to Ricky Ronnie, just kind of that relationship. And um, you know, that's going to be a dynamic recruiting too, because I think yes. ODU has made some strides to, close the gap and we've seen tech slip a bit i think uh those two old friends may run into each other a little more than than brent pry would like uh, early on especially in the 757 area uh now <laughs> brent pry is is taking over a team that just scored a pretty significant win uh, under the interim that. coach jc price and um you know we, we always we're impartial in this business and uh there are people we really like at uva and people we really like at virginia tech uh but i think it's fair to say that at least i know i was very happy for jc price i thought that was uh, a great moment for him winning the commonwealth cup in a in a really exciting game uh against virginia at scott stadium uh, a game where as always the, the stadium even though it was uva's home stadium there were plenty of tech fans there i thought it was a good atmosphere I don't know if it was a great game in terms of quality of execution. Uh, no. But it was a great game in terms of entertainment value. Um, mm. And I thought both teams played hard, really wanted it. And, and the video that's circulating online of uh, J.C. Price after the game finding his family on the field. Um, again, you know, you go back to what, what we love about sports. I think that's one of those what we love about sports moments, man. I mean, watching him, you know, picking up his daughters and um, the look on his face and, and how proud he was. David, that was that was a fun game to cover, wasn't it? Oh, it absolutely was. And you, know, you, you, you mentioned the, the, the Price family. And of course, JC's wife, Jenny, is a former Hokies athlete herself. And it's just a Virginia Tech family through and through. You could see it in Price's postgame interview with ESPN, ACCN. And you could tell it in, in postgame with us. And just the, the, the raw emotion of, of winning that game and then his tweet about smoking a cigar back in 95 <laughs> after winning at uh, Scott Stadium and then again uh, on Saturday. And, hey, it extends his interim head coaching tenure one more game, and it might. We don't, we don't know yet. It might conclude – just a few miles from J.C. Price's Maryland roots. It could end up in Annapolis at the Military Bowl. Yeah, another fun wrinkle. And and I think also, I think just a huge win because, you know, Brent Pry can now come in and, and get to see these players. Um, mm -hmm. You know, yes. I, I, the, the, the release seemed to indicate, and this is usually the case, that uh, Coach Price will finish out leading yes. the way this season. And the coaching staff, as it is, um, will most likely, assuming those guys don't get other jobs and, and leave what will continue as is but the opportunity uh, for the new coach to come in and just watch practice just put eyes on guys and um 
I think that's going to be really useful and helpful uh, for them. Let's start with Virginia Tech in this game and some some really good stuff, I thought. We've talked about they played hard for J.C. Price. I don't think either of us are surprised. I think we knew with, with his passion for the rivalry that that would happen. David, they ran the football really well. They ran the football the way they ran it in the first half of the North Carolina game. Uh, Raheem Blackshear was great. Man, if they could have done that more of the year, things might have been different, huh? You don't get to play against Virginia's defense every week. No, don't they wish they could? Right? <laughs> I mean, Mike, Virginia Tech in its first 11 games had two scrimmage plays of more than 50 yards. Both of them Braxton Burmeister to Trey Turner completions against Georgia Tech. Those are the only two. Yeah. On Saturday, Virginia Tech had three such plays. Had a 50-yard run from Blackshear, a 61-yard touchdown for Tavian Robinson, and then that 71-yard run, I believe, uh, for Braxton Burmeister. And it's been the bugaboo of the UVA defense all year, but kudos to Virginia Tech for being able to exploit that. No question. I thought Virginia Tech's offensive line was excellent. You mentioned Blackshear. I mean, he was was terrific all game. What what I didn't understand was – why Virginia Tech kept going to Connor Blomrick when Burmeister was running it so well himself. And the the fourth and two, was it fourth and two or third and two with the quarterback sneak was just a preposterous call, especially when Blackshear was averaging 11 yards a carry. So uh, otherwise, you know, I thought Brad Cornelson, he he got that little gadget play in there, you know, with the double reverse to Tavion Robinson, who the little left-hander throws a touchdown pass there in the left corner of the end zone to Braxton Burmeister. Our friend Wes McElroy uh, and John Laser have been referring to it as the the Blacksburg special instead of the Philly special. Philly special. uh, Yeah, the other other weird one, because you're right, the, the quarterback shuffling did baffle me and um, might have cost them. If you remember the play fourth where, down. Yeah. Where Blumrick is in it's fourth and goal. Um, they don't run a power with him, which is what you think Blumrick's in for. They roll him out and then they're asking him to throw and Blackshear's wide open, but Blumrick can't get the ball to, to the right shoulder. Um, mm-hmm. And he ends up throwing a ball that's, that's tough to catch. Blackshear can't handle it. Um, it. It just seemed like if that's your play call, Burmeister is clearly your quarterback, but um, hey, they survived and, and and in the end they scored more. So I, I guess kudos to them and, uh, in that regard. And David, I thought the defense, con- considering who they were facing, and I know Armstrong, we'll get into that in a second, hurt the ankle and maybe wasn't 100 percent, but I thought the defense acquitted itself well in this one. Very much so in the second half, Mike. Yeah, three second half points. Yeah, I guess, <laughs> I guess a, a team that was. I mean, just slinging it all over the yard on everybody, even in the pit game and, and, and pit, you know, wins the coastal and is going to the ACC title game against Wake. Um, they couldn't stop Brendan Armstrong throwing the ball downfield. And um, however they accomplished it and whatever factor the ankle was, I thought Virginia Tech did a real nice job in the second half in that regard. Yes. I thought Jordan Williams mm-hmm. up front at defensive tackle was ex- exceptional. They really did a good job of keeping Brennan Armstrong within the confines of the pocket and not giving him running lanes. You mentioned that late Armstrong was probably limited by the ankle. And then in the secondary, Tay Daly, Mm -hmm. you know, he had some pass breakups. He had a pick. 
uh, you know, he had the pass breakup on the on Virginia's final play there in in the end zone on on fourth down. Not a great throw, but but he he made sure it was was not going to get caught. And Shamari Connor was good, uh, and and Jermaine Waller unavailable. You know, they, they they did this without their best corner. Yeah, I, I think if you're, and that segues into the UVA talk. I think if you're UVA, you, you've got to be disappointed with what you did offensively in such a, a big game and a big moment. And um, I, the defense was terrible in, all year, and I don't think we were surprised that it struggled or gave up big plays against Tech. In fact, we talked about it last week that um, this had more of the earmarkings of a shootout than Virginia suddenly getting its defense right. And and the whole idea of the battle of week on week <laughs> with Tech's offense and UVA's defense and um, Tech's offense certainly grabbing the edge. But the offense just was okay. It, it wasn't the explosive 35, 40-point-a-game attack that it's been all season. What went wrong, or was it just simply Tech playing well? No, I think a lot went wrong. And they just they should have been better armstrong wasn't as good was it the injury he'll never use it as an excuse and of course they were positioned right there at the end to steal it after blumrick fumbled the ball away again what's he doing in the game (laughs) but you know because virginia tech has a chance to to run the clock out after that bizarre onside kick. I'm not sure what that was all about. I'm not sure why Virginia didn't kick it away on the free kick following the safety. But, you know, there Virginia is at the 12-yard line going ready to uh, score the winning touchdown down five. And then came a play that will probably be on Robert and I's tombstone. Yeah, and David, for everything we just talked about, the questionable goal line calls uh, for Tech, the questionable quarterback rotation, some of the other things they did. No one is going to remember that because when you talk about weird and bad play calls in this game, it was the third down tackle throwback to Bobby Haskins, and that's nothing against Bobby Haskins, but just think about what you've got situationally in terms of your personnel. You've got Brennan Armstrong, maybe maybe been the best quarterback uh, all year in the ACC, certainly Kenny Pickett, uh, you know, Sam Hartman, Devin Leary, a lot of guys can lay a claim to that this year. But Brendan Armstrong is your weapon. You've got the deepest and most talented receiving core you've had in, in the Bronco tenure. And you've got all the different kind of pieces. You got the small, quick guys. You got the leaping guys. You got Jelani Woods, who is eight mm-hmm. foot six, and, and I can complete passes to him. It just felt like maybe that's a great play call if you're trying to steal something because you're inferior. It just felt like with that offense, why take the ball out of the hands of those guys? And why do it when, you, you know, it, what was it, third and eight? Third and eight, and they end up throwing six or seven yards behind the line behind of the scrimmage. Line. Yes, he, so he's not going gonna... to. Right, even if it quote-unquote works, he ain't going 15 yards to the end zone. No. Uh, it's just not happening. He, he absolutely is not. And, you know, Bronco Mendenhall can tap dance around this all he wants. Oh, it works in practice. Yada, yada. I'll bet it doesn't work from there. If if it does, bad on your defense. Well, I was going to say, I wouldn't use it works in practice with that defense as justification for anything. No. Right? The old, and, it, that's the most amazing thing about Brendan Armstrong's statistics this year is he did it without the benefit of playing Virginia's defense. Imagine <laughs> what his numbers would be if he was on a different team and got to do that against Virginia's defense. You know, they point to the, the Orange Bowl in Florida when it quote unquote worked 
but it got called back for a penalty. Well, in my book, it didn't work. Of course uh, it didn't. It got called back for a penalty. It didn't work. Um, and again, it's not about the play or the design or, or even the timing. It's about what you chose it over for me, right? It's you could have picked Michael Jordan, but who would you pick, right? You had Brendan Armstrong with all these weapons and all these ways to attack. And instead you did something funky and quirky. And let's be honest, it's been the mark of, it's been a great offense all year. And Robert and I has put together just an explosive attack, but every game once or twice, he does something that leaves us scratching our heads and to do it in that situation and to take the, the fate of your team out of Brendan Armstrong's hands to me, I'll, I'll never, they can tell me why they did it a thousand times. I'll never understand. No. And Mike, I said it half jokingly, but what did I say to you in the press box Saturday after Tavion Robinson threw that touchdown pass to Burmeister? I told you, yeah. watch and I try to one up. <laughs> Hold my beer. Brad Cornelson. And he sure did at the worst, worst possible moment. And yep. you know, who knows how it ends the other way, but this Virginia team, the model of this Virginia team is we're going to live and die with Brendan Armstrong, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's why they left him in blowout games getting hit because Brendan Armstrong's our guy. It's why they were able to win close games in Miami and Louisville. I mean, that Louisville comeback, Brendan Armstrong's our guy. It's why they struggled so much when he missed a game. Brendan Armstrong's our guy. And here you are in your rivalry. Let Brendan Armstrong be the guy. And um, yeah, I think that's got to be, no matter what they say, and they'll never say it publicly, that's got to be a play call they want. Yes. But you, you know what? It would go a long way with the base yeah, right. to, to, to concede, you know, not the best decision. Right. Yeah. We watched it on film. The more we thought about it, that was a mistake. We should have left the ball in the hands of our best player. And, you know, fans are going to be upset and, and we're going to get into that here in a, in a moment, but um, yeah, just own it. Like stop defending. Cause when you defend a bad play call like that, it leaves fans with that sinking feeling that you're going to do it again. Yeah. And UVA fans, they don't have the patience to see that again. <laughs> if they make it through this, uh, they don't want to see it again. What they also don't want to see again at UVA is a swarm of Virginia Tech fans rushing the field at Scott Stadium. And <laughs> we talked about what a cool moment it was for J.C. Price, but that is, I mean, that's the epitome of a gut punch if you're, or if you're the home team. David, what did you think of Hokie fans storming the field at Scott Stadium? Given the whole vibe of the game, and the fact that Virginia Tech was a seven-point underdog, which is the largest mm-hmm. spread in Virginia's favor since at least 1995. That's how far back this one database I use goes. So that plus bowl eligibility, everything, the whole interim coach thing, a Hokie coach in the Hokies, have at it, man. Rush the field. Yeah. I'm with you. I am a 100% in favor of it for all of those reasons. And for the simple reason that, and, and this you know goes back to, I, I remember in high school, we had a game, uh, a JV game where we felt as players, like the other team was running up the score because they were bigger and better. And I think there was some grumbling post game in the locker room. And our coach, uh, who was a former lineman at Oklahoma State, kind of snarled at us and said, don't let them score if you don't like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't let them Come to your stadium and win if you don't like it. And if you're the fans who have a big problem with this, sell out your stadium. Yeah, Show up. If you only leave the Virginia Tech allotment for tickets, which is up in the stands, they're not running on your field. But if you're only going to fill 60% of your stadium, 
I've been around this state long enough to tell you, tech fans will go ahead and fill in some of those empty seats. And then when they beat you in dramatic fashion, they may run on the field. And their 27th year senior Tyrell Smith, he may stick a flag in the middle of your logo. That might be what happens if you leave those seats open as fans and you lose the game as players. And it, that's how it goes. So, um, you know, yeah, it, it's anything that adds juice to an already juicy rivalry. <laughs> Obviously, us sports writers are for. But, you know, to me, that was them celebrating a win that I think salvaged their season. And that brings us neatly to this week's edition of Who You Got. Thank you, Mike. After all said and done, Virginia Tech and UVA finished with identical 6-6 six and six records. The Hokies kept the Commonwealth Cup but fired their coach. Brennan Armstrong and Dontavion Wicks had record-setting years for Virginia, but the Cavaliers ended the regular season on a four-game losing streak. So, who you got? Who had the better season? Let's start with David. Guys, this is an easy call. Identical 6-6, six and 4-4 six, four and four ACC records comes down to head to head. And the game that both these programs point to annually. And not only did Virginia Tech win, it won in Charlottesville to secure bowl eligibility. Virginia Tech coaching change notwithstanding had the better season. Thank you, David. Mike? Well, it's hard to argue, but for argument's sake, I will. And I will say this. Five years from now, if I think back to this season, I think I'm going to remember two things. I'm going to remember Brennan Armstrong and the amazing offense, and I'm going to remember that Virginia Tech fired its coach with two weeks to go. Which one of those is positive? Which one of those is negative? I'm going to say that Virginia had the better season because <laughs> really what I'm saying, David, is Virginia's offense had the better <laughs> season. Uh, you know, I, I think that it, it's funny because they are 6-6, six and six, and Tech did win the game, but you know, the vibe... I get from Virginia is pretty good team, disappointing finish. And the vibe I get from Virginia Tech was bad team, pulled it out with, with something nice at the end. Uh, so by the slimmest of margins, and and not pretending that either one had a very good season, <laughs> I'll give the edge to the Cavaliers. And uh, that brings us to the big picture at UVA, which is something that if you're a Twitter aficionado and you're, you're out there on the uh, social media stuff you're seeing, there are some angry UVA fans. They're angry at the coaches. They're angry at the defensive coaches. They're angry at the play calling by Robert and I. They're angry at the big picture for Bronco Mendenhall. I get it, especially when you lose to your rival and all the things we just talked about. But David, I'm looking at Bronco Mendenhall's tenure so far. And I'm looking at what was there before. And, and they went to one bowl game in eight years before hiring Bronco. And they've been bowl eligible in five of his six. Uh, are things that bad in Charlottesville right now? They're never as bad as <laughs> fans would lead you to believe, nor as good as fans would leave, lead you to believe. But yes, there are troubling signs here. Uh, a six and six season with a record-setting quarterback, as you wrote after the game, is almost a waste. Mm -hmm. you, you have this guy who leads the country in, in total offense. He is smashing school and conference single-season production records, and yet you can't do enough around him to win more games. Now, granted, three of Virginia's closing four losses were against nationally ranked teams in Brigham Young and Pitt and Notre Dame. So th there is that. And previously, 
you know, they lost to Wake Forest, which is 10-2 and two in going to the ACC championship game. And the other loss was to, yes, a 6-6 six and six North Carolina team, but one with a first-round draft choice at quarterback in Sam Howe. So the schedule was challenging. But this is not the unbroken growth that Bronco Mendenhall has aspired to with this program. And I would not be surprised at all if there are some changes uh, in the program. Now, when you say changes, the defense has been bad for two years in a row. Mm-hmm. They adjusted scheme-wise. They played more of that 3-3-5, dropped eight more to try to stop giving up big plays. What happened? They got gashed in the run game, readjusted, and, and then at times got gashed with the big pass plays again. They have not solved the defensive problems. Do you anticipate changes on the coaching staff this offseason? Yes. No, no inside information. It's just kind of the way these things work. Now, Bronco Mendenhall is different, mm-hmm. and these are his guys. So maybe he doubles down. Maybe he reassigns responsibilities again. I don't know. But I do expect some change. And if there isn't, the, the base will be further irritated. And Mike, you mentioned the crowd on Saturday. I thought it was poor. I, I really did. I'll bet you if, if you count turnstile, I'll bet you there weren't 40,000 people there. Yeah, which and should I, never I, happen. I, I, and I know these are two mediocre teams, but if that's the way you roll against your against your rival, then there's apathy, and something's something's got to change there. Well, and and that's the thing is, I have a hard time reconciling fans who all of a sudden want Bronco run out of town or want his defensive coaches, who like you said, have played for him, GA'd for him, coached for him. I don't think they're going anywhere. Um, you may see a situation where Bronco gets more involved on the defensive side and they shuffle some responsibilities, but I don't see a big change coming. Um, they're Bronco guys, and, and it reminds me a little bit of Fuente and Cornelson. I, I think I think those are the personalities you're going to have uh, and how they divvy it up. But but what my point was, I struggle to reconcile fans that you know suddenly want this guy out or or have these major concerns and angst over their coach. I don't know that they're all showing up on game day. And the other thing they're not showing up, David, is donations. Because when Bronco was hired, there was a lot of talk about what he was promised in terms of facility upgrades. There is a plan in place for a new football facility, for upgrades throughout that, that will elevate the program to be more competitive in the ACC. You just talked about what tech is now promising Pry uh, after their hiring of him. We haven't seen these facility upgrades. They're on hold. So we've got a fan base that seems to want to be angry and fired up but not put their money where their mouth is when it comes to showing up on game day or writing the checks that make your program competitive. It's a very fair point. And Bronco Mendenhall talked at his introductory press conference about the need for facility enhancements. I was with Carla Williams, the athletic director at UVA, when Jim Phillips, the new ACC commissioner, toured the grounds and the facilities. And she was showing him and telling him, look, this is how far behind we are. Our weight room is unacceptable. Our our meeting space is unacceptable. This has got to be better. This has got to be better. I mean, she knows it. Bronco Mendenhall knows it. And yet here we are six years into his tenure. And now there are more practice fields, granted, 
that that's that's a good step but otherwise the infrastructure has not improved and you know at what point does frustration set in yes. for Bronco Mendenhall but but on the flip side the fans are saying well we want to see results and yes we want a coastal and we went to the orange bowl but otherwise you know what have you done for us lately that's how fans are and, and and that's what i think is unfair in that he went and did more with less at that point they should have gotten on track fundraising wise mm-hmm. when in 2019 when he won the coastal when he went to the orange bowl that was saying look i've squeezed everything i can squeeze out of this look what i can do now give me what i need and they didn't and i just think fans who were griping about bronco mendenhall they ought to think twice because could I see a scenario where he throws his hands up and says, the hell with this? Well, Bronco probably wouldn't say the hell. The heck with this and 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 wants out and goes somewhere where they're going to support him facility-wise now that he's proven he can at least be competitive with less at the Power 5 level. Yeah, I'd be careful uh, mm-hmm. what you say and complain about Bronco Mendenhall because he may look around and say, look, if my, he's got a vision and a plan for UVA, but if it's not feasible, if he's not going to get the support that he was promised, he can go somewhere else with that plan. And and I got to be honest, my money's on Bronco. I, I think he has a good plan. I think he knows what has to be done. Um, I think it's impressive that he's gotten Virginia already to the point where nobody's excited or satisfied by bowl eligibility every year because, David, when I moved to Virginia, that wasn't the case, right? They were coming down from success and we're going into a long period of nothing. So be careful what you wish for is my point on, on the football side. Now, sure. Let me, let me just yeah. add one thing, Mike, because you, you mentioned taking advantage of the orange bowl appearance from a fundraising standpoint, but what happened two months after that orange bowl pandemic? There was certainly some timing things there Yeah, um, that throws everything off, but mm-hmm. we're still seeing, I mean, Virginia tech, they had their cuts, their rollbacks, but they're still in position now, apparently, to support Brent Pry in a way that it does not appear UVA is positioned to support Bronco Mendenhall. And that, that's a concern. And hey, you can do more with less. And, and Bronco's shown it. And another guy who's shown it, who we think was, was a pretty serious target for Virginia Tech, Dave Clawson at, at Wake Forest. Um, they're upping their support. They're ramping up what they're putting to that program at Wake Forest. But Clawson has built this thing in the do more with less model. And, and now he gets Pittsburgh in the ACC title game. And David, I think that's an impress, as impressive a coaching turnaround as we've seen in some time. Yeah, if he's not ACC Coach of the Year, then I'm in the wrong biz, right? Yeah, that was an easy part of the ballot. Yeah, it, it really was. Uh, he, what he's done there, Mike, is is remarkable. And this is the first ACC championship game to match two teams averaging at least 40 points a game. I think it's going to be really fun. And Wake Forest facilities are good and, and getting better. And as experienced as as this group is, this Deacons group, Dave Clawson reminded us Sunday on on a Zoom that 54 Mm -hmm. of Wake's scholarship players are underclassmen, freshmen or sophomores. He's got a he's got a foundation there, and clearly he he believes in it, or he wouldn't have signed that contract extension. Yeah, yeah, I think he could have gone somewhere. I think oh, he absolutely Wake, could have, yeah, in, including potentially to Blacksburg. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that he showed a commitment to Wake. Wake showed the support that that he needs, and um, 
it'll be interesting to see if the same thing happens for Bronco. That title game is going to be fun. I mean, Kenny Pickett, Sam Hartman, those are they ended up being first and second team all ACC at quarterback. I and mean, I think Brandon Armstrong had a good case to be in one of those spots too. But um, no, no denying how good those two guys are. It, it should be a fun one to watch. Yeah, oh, I I believe so. And uh, no no playoff spot on the line for the the, the first time uh, in in uh, the playoff era for the ACC, but still. Uh, to me, a pretty compelling title game. Yeah, well, so we're at where we're at with Virginia, a uh, disappointing season. We're at where we're at with Virginia Tech, a disappointing season. But now we turn the page, right, for these guys and, and two basketball programs that have a chance to be pretty good. Virginia didn't look that way in the first half last night against <laughs> Iowa. David, uh, you and I were there, and, and we talked, we joked about, you know, I had family in town from, from Thanksgiving, and uh, last night was their last night in town, but I chose to come out to the game and, and, and work instead of taking the night off. And uh, as they were falling behind by 20 points, you were kind of looking at me like, maybe I should have taken <laughs> taken the night off and had one more night with family. But boy, David, that second half made it made it worth rolling out. Uh, what do we make of, of the, the cliche tale of two halves, and, and what do we take away from it? Well, I think the big question moving forward, well, there, there are two questions. Can Virginia sustain the second half urgency it showed against Iowa last night over a complete 40 minutes, number one? Number two, is Tane Murray going to be instant offense for the rest of the season? Because, wow, what an impressive looking stroke that is, a confident stroke. And if he can be that guy off the bench, Tony Bennett may have found him something. Yeah, I think that Tane Murray has the chance down the road to be a Sam Hauser type player. I did not anticipate that level of impact and confidence. David, he did not play in either game in Newark. Didn't get (laughs) off the bench. He played three minutes in the blowout against Lehigh. He's a freshman from overseas. If ever there was a candidate for a guy to be like, well, shoot, this isn't working out. That's a great moment right there for, for him to say, eh, maybe this isn't working out. And, and instead, ton of credit to the guy who, who does not strike you as a kid. When he came in the postgame, um, you know, and he played w- with pros in New Zealand, right. uh, he strikes you as a very mature, very polished. But I'm just really impressed with that. And, and you know, if you don't follow UVA basketball closely, you don't understand that Tony Bennett's press conference was as close to him ripping his team. Yep. As you're going to get Tony, Bennett's not going to come in and just throw guys under the bus and call guys. It's just not, it's not Tony. It's not the way he, he does it. He might do it in practice. He gets on him. Good. We've all heard the stories of that, but he isn't going to come into a press conference and blast his guys. That was as close as he's going to come to doing it. What he said was we couldn't play certain guys in the second half because they didn't have the alertness, the intensity and the engagement to, to be, to be trusted. That's getting ripped by Tony Bennett. When he says you showed up not ready to play, that's him ripping you. And I thought even though he's Tony Bennett and he can handle bad moments with grace, that's just who he is. I thought he was salty. I thought he was ticked off. And I'm going to be really curious what they come out with against Pittsburgh. He was having no part of, gee, coach, isn't it great you came from 21 down and led late? Right. He he was like, nope, not going there. Yeah, he it was, was all kinds of frosted at that early effort, 
and the slow closeouts and the failures to do what he considers fundamental things defensively. So I believe that the practices in preparation for Pittsburgh on Friday are going to be a little rough. Yeah, I would not specifically want to be Francisco Cafaro or Cody Statman, who did not play any minutes in the second half. And again, Bennett's personality, he didn't call them out by name, but we're all capable of reading, and we're all capable of reading who played six or seven minutes in the first half and zero minutes in the second half. And it wasn't foul trouble, and it wasn't matchups. Um, so those those gentlemen may be in for a long week uh, behind closed doors at JPJ. On the other side of things, Virginia Tech, they, they lost a pair of I thought very competitive games mm-hmm. uh, in, in Brooklyn. Uh, they face Maryland tonight. We're recording this here Tuesday afternoon. I think it's tomorrow, Mike. Did I mix that up? That's quite possible. Days are starting to, to blend together. But what do we make right now of um, – you know, what Virginia Tech has and um, what they were able to do against Memphis and Xavier or what they weren't able to do. It's something we've mentioned quite a bit. One is the lack of depth. I thought that hurt up in in Brooklyn. And Kave Aluma did not play well. And that's when, when your top gun is struggling and you don't have a lot of depth, you're going to struggle. Yeah, and I think you know there are great pieces around Keve Aluma, but I think they are pieces that essentially play through him, right? Like Naheem Aline, I think, can be an electrifying scorer, especially when people are collapsing down to Aluma and giving him a lot of space to operate. And, um, you know, Murphy as a distributor and um, Hunter Couture certainly is, is a great catch and shooter, come around a screen, shoot. They've got good pieces, but it does feel like it, it all has to be working uh, for them to be at that level. Now, I think they can beat plenty of people, um, you know, with two or three of those cylinders firing, but um, ranked teams, uh, that kind of a stage, I think those tests exposed, um, you know, where Virginia Tech still needs work. Hokies open ACC play Saturday against Wake Forest. UVA gets going in league play Friday night against Pitt. And that brings us to this week's edition of Who You Got. Thank you, Mike. After its win over Gonzaga, Duke is the number one team in the nation and clearly the class of the ACC. So if the rest of the league is playing for second place, who is the best of the rest? Who you got? Let's start with Mike. Yeah, that's a good question because, David, I I think you'll agree with me that maybe more than we anticipated, the gap between uh, where Duke is and where everybody else is is pretty substantial. Um, You know, I I think I went in, and we've talked about this on the show, we think that Mike Krzyzewski might have a team that can win it all for him in his last year, so we're both really high on Duke. I was a little higher on some of the teams behind them, and they may still put it together. I've got Florida State still. I came into the year thinking they were number two just ahead of Carolina. I still think they're there. I know they had the very lopsided loss at Florida that, that you don't love to see. And, and they had an equally lopsided win over Missouri. And, and, and I know that's not a, a great Missouri team. I think we're going to know a lot more uh, about Florida State tonight after they play at Purdue. Yeah, that's, uh, which, that's right. A- Really that's a dandy. difficult game, yeah. That's a dandy of a game, man. That's going to be one that, that yeah, I grab us some snacks, and, and I can't wait to watch. I think it's 7.30, um, Florida State at Purdue. Right now, before I see what they do, I've still got uh, Leonard Hamilton's Seminoles to me as the second-best team in, in an ACC, again, with a big gap between them and, and where Duke is right now. You chose a team that plays uh, soon against Purdue. I'm going to take a team that plays – tomorrow night 
against Michigan mm-hmm. in another really interesting ACC Big Ten challenge game, and that's North Carolina. I picked the Tar Heels second in, in, in preseason, and like the Seminoles, the Tar Heels have had some disappointing results, lost to aforementioned Purdue and Tennessee on back-to-back days up in Connecticut at the Hall of Fame tip-off. But there's just an awful lot of talent on the, on that roster that Hubert Davis has. And the, the transfer from Oklahoma and, and Manic and obviously Armando Baycott being back. And let's not forget Justin McCoy, the transfer from UVA. I just I think the Tar Heels will will get it together. And you know, home game against Michigan, really a, a chance for them to pronounce themselves as a serious contender in the league. Well, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun to watch this ACC Big Ten Challenge. It's going to be fun to see where these football teams end up in bowl games. And I know people say, oh, there's too many bowls. And ACC's got, what, 10 teams eligible and half of them are 6-6. Six and six. So <laughs> maybe maybe there are too many bowls. But uh, I think it's going to be fun to get one one more football game. And, David, I, you wrote about this in your column after the, the UVA-Iowa game. And I want to end on this note because it's nice to end on something positive. I thought the feeling we got, the atmosphere, and and this is what you wrote about, at JPJ in the second half against Iowa, really for the first time, took us back to what a college basketball environment is supposed to feel like. And you wrote it well, so if you haven't read the column yet, it's on richmond.com still. But David, that was a good feeling to have that back. Man, it sure was. I mean, you could just feel the, the the fans. They were hoping and pleading and screaming. They were into every whistle, and they were at the edge of their seats with it with every shot. And it's yes, it was only November, and no, neither team was ranked in the top twenty-five. But this was high-level basketball. I mean, we're talking about a game that you know there were a combined nine turnovers. I mean, it was really clean and, you know, it had flow to it and the fans appreciated it. And Tony Bennett even mentioned the crowd afterwards as having contributed to Virginia's comeback. So, yeah, it was it was a privilege to be up there on our perch and just kind of feel that vibe again. Yeah, this Thanksgiving season, that's something we can, can both be thankful for. We're thankful for you all listening. You can subscribe to Teal and Barber on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your favorite pods. And please, this holiday season, consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the TD. It makes a great gift, right? You can find special promotional offers available at richmond.com. Today's show was produced by Dean Hoffmeyer. Teal and Barber is a podcast of the Richmond Times-Dispatch and richmond.com. For David Teal, I'm Mike Barber. Thanks for listening. Be healthy and safe. And please join David and me again next time.